0: I want you to consider this phrase. Consider this phrase. Everything, everything rises and falls on the quality of our relationships. Everything rises and falls on the quality of our relationships. Now, if that's true, if that's true, and I'll just, I'm going to go on record in saying I believe it to be true. If that's true, then we need to get this relationship thing right. We just need to work, we got to get it right. And that's what our series is going to be. Uh, Over these next four weeks is going to be attempting to achieve and the series is titled Relationomics now Relationomics is just a, a play on a word It is not a word. We have coined it for this series of messages, but I'm going to define it for you Okay, here's a definition of Relationomics the study that deals with the development Understanding and practice of healthy relationships one more time the study that deals with the development and understanding and practice of healthy relationships. I am absolutely confident that God desires that your relationships and my relationships are healthy. I believe that God has a plan. Now hear me carefully. I believe God has a plan for relational prosperity in your life. And, and I, don't, I don't say that lightly. There is, a, the, there is a plan that God has for you to prosper in all of your relationships. Now, think about your relationships for a moment. Uh, All of us have relationships at all kinds of different levels, whether it's in the family, at work, uh, among neighbors, on social media. Uh, There are so many different ways. We We have relationships with singles, families, married folk, young, old. We've got them all over the place. Our relationships are everywhere. We engage in relationships daily and many times during the course of a day. And I would say also that our, that our relationships going to affect us in a number of ways. One of those ways is, is just some, for some of us, relationships are exhausting. We're, they're just exhausting. And then you just really, oh, goodness, great. And now pastors are going to talk about relationships? I can't do Oh, no, it's just too much. It's just exhausting for us others on the other hand, we just can't get enough relationships. we just keep doing we build, we grow we do everything we can't we want to love everybody we want everybody to love us. we're just all over those kinds of relationships then there's some just don't give a whole lot of thought about any relationships you just kind of well it is what it is and just kind of walk through life just the way it is. So I just thought what might what might we What might we discover about relationships? 2018, 2019, uh, a man by the name of Robin Dunbar. Robin Dunbar is is an anthropologist, English anthropologist. And he did study, he did a study, a number of studies, about relationships and the dynamics connected with relationships. And here's what he discovered. Now, what he did is he took circles and he he developed kind of this matrix of circles And each circle, as it reduced, was a different amount of people. For example, for most of us, 150 people is about all that we really can consider to be friends or acquaintances that have any significance of relationship. Those circles continue to decrease down all the way to five. So in those circles, here's what the, the research discovered is that we invest about 60% of our time in the 15 people at those lower end circles. And of those 15 and of that 60%, 40% is invested in just five people. Five people. So, the conclusion, if we're going if we're going to invest nearly two-thirds of our time in just 15 people, we probably ought to get this relation thing, relationship thing figured out and do it well, and do it well. And that's really my desire for all of us is to, is to do relationships well. Because, again, if I spend two-thirds of my time, I, I can't afford dysfunction, I can't afford dysfunction in relationships. I, I I can't I can't not I cannot. I've got to learn to correctly deal with conflict. And so just that you know, so that you know, every one of us are going to be in conflict at some point in a relationship. It's just going to happen. Whether that's husband, wife, brother, sister, friend, it doesn't matter. Conflict is a regular part of it, but I need to learn how to deal with it correctly and in a godly manner, I need to strive for relational prosperity in every one of my relationships. So we're going to do that over these next number of weeks. And the verse of scripture that we're going to focus in on, that'll just kind of form a a foundation for us, is found in 3 John, verse number 2. And that reads, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. John wrote this to his friend by the name of Gaius. Now, what has happened to this verse of Scripture over the years, it has been abused in many different ways. And here's how it's been abused. It's been abused in this particular way, is that it becomes God's will for all of us to be in financial prosperity. Now, I'm not suggesting God doesn't want us to prosper financially, but I want you to know something. God's prosperity is far more than just financial and this also, this verse has said that you're never going to be sick, you're always going to be healthy. Uh, you know, I shake hands with about 350 people every week. I have to be careful because y'all are sick. <laughs> Not all the time, but once in a while, right? And the, real, the, the, the truth of the matter is, illness gets germs spread. They just do. Now, hear this carefully. When I read this verse, I realize that God has a desire for me to remain healthy. God has a a desire for me to be prosperous. But I want to suggest this morning to us, and I believe it with all of my heart, God, more than any other kind of health and prosperity, wants you to prosper and be in health spiritually. He wants your life to be incredibly strong spiritually. He also wants you to have emotional health and prosper emotionally. And let me just stop. Over the past few years, a couple years or so, we have had a rash of depression that has hit professional uh, pastors all around our country that has ended up in suicide because of emotional, emotional hurt and and wounds and depression, that's not God's desire. It's not God's desire for any of us. He wants us to be healthy and prosper emotionally. He wants us to be healthy and prosper you know, physically. There's no question about that. And he also wants us to be healthy and to prosper relationally. Relationally. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, in order to do this, for us to get back to the definition of relationomics, to understand, develop, and practice healthy relationships... There are four, or four fundamental principles we have to lay as a groundwork. The first one is this. We have to begin with God. We have to begin with God. In order, in order for us to have healthy relationships, we need to go back to the one whose idea it was for relationships to even exist. So if you go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, look at the first four words. In the beginning, God. Okay? And you read throughout the book of Genesis a, a number of beginnings. That's what the word Genesis means: is beginnings. It is the book of beginnings, including relationships. God creates Adam and Eve, a husband and wife relationship, children, family relationship, and then there are dynamics. There's conflict that comes in, and how do you deal with the conflict? And then there are generations that continue to to for the next hundreds thousands of years and you see all of these all of these coming from one central source God created these relationships so you have to begin with God the second fundamental principle is that the Bible is a relational book from beginning to end we have stories of, of wonderful people great people and you have just incredible stories of relationships now The the thing I love about the Bible is that you would think that if you really wanted to promote something, you'd never include the less than perfect relationships, right? But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible just kind of opens it up, and here it is. And let me just say, here's one, for example, Jacob. If you want to put this in dysfunction, go to Jacob's family. It's right there. That place, that thing was a mess. It was messed up from everything every angle. However, God brought restoration and help. And and you see conflict being not only explored, but also healed. But then you have individuals like Boaz and Ruth, what an incredible story and relationship of a husband and a wife. You go farther, you see a single man by the name of Daniel who was able to exist within pagan kingdoms, serve really well, manage the relationships that were there, but never compromise his integrity. And then you go farther and you see two ladies in the book of Philippians that Paul talks about by the name of of Yodia and and Sydechi, and what are they doing Paul says now listen ladies you need to learn to get along okay that's what he's saying to them essentially they were in conflict with one another the bible doesn't hide that but it shows us both sides of relationships and how god has a plan for relational prosperity but we have to we have to employ his plan the third thing that we learn that's a fundamental principle is that God desires that we would have healthy relationships. It really is his heart. Colossians chapter 3, listen to what Paul says. It's really good. i just give you some snippets of this portion of verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, always obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate, or excuse me, aggravate your children. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Masters, be just And fair to your slaves. Notice the attention that Paul gives to various family and societal groups. He's talking about everything. Later on, he would talk about, as a single man, how to live the single life. He understands and he unpacks this for us. Relationships, God desires that we'd have healthy relationships. And then the fourth fundamental principle is that God is a relational God. One can't dismiss this. You go back to the beginning, go back to Genesis, and you see that God had a relationship with Adam and Eve. And let me just stop. God desires a relationship with us. That is that's amazing to me. Here is the creator of all things wants to have a relationship with me. And God wants to have a relationship with you. What an amazing truth about God. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 12 says. You are the children of the Lord your God. You are holy people who belong to the Lord your God. He has chosen you from all the peoples on earth to be his very own. What an incredible statement. And then Peter would go on and say in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And do I love these last words. Look at them with me. God's special possession. That's what God thinks about us. God is a relational God. He desires a relationship with you and with me. So I would just say this morning, if you don't have a relationship with God, start there. Start there. You're having difficulties navigating relationships. Start with a relationship with God and let him transform your life and let's see what God will do from that moment forward. Those are some things that we have to kind of allow us, or allow the foundation in order to for us to understand what God's plan is for relational prosperity. So this morning we're going to talk through a passage of scripture. And before we go there, I want to set it up for you. It was amazing to me when you look through the stories of Jesus and the conversations that Jesus had with various people. He was always, he was always in conflict with the religious leaders. And these guys were always after him. They're always trying to trap him in something, catch him in a blasphemous statement, trying to get him to contradict or trying to get him to, to show his colors, quote, unquote, at least in their opinion, of being anti-Rome. For example, one of those questions that was asked of Jesus, he was asked this, he said, look, should, should, we, pay, should we pay taxes to Rome? And they're hoping that he's going to say, well, no, you know, why? Then they can say, oh, he's subversive, and they could turn him over to the Romans, and they could take him out. And Jesus just does this so wonderfully. He said, show me a coin. Okay, here's a coin. Whose picture is on the coin? Caesar's. All right. Give Caesar's what Caesar's and give God's what God's. And they go, what? That's not, what? He did it. He did it again. Every time they asked him a question, when they knew he knew they were trying to trap him, he turned the question around. It was just masterful. Well, now... There was a question asked of him. He had been questioned by the religious leaders, and they get to a point where they ask him this question. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Okay, now once again, they want him, they're trying to trap him. This isn't, they're not being honest. They're trying to trap him. What ends up happening is that Jesus' answers, answer prompted Mark to finish that whole, that whole portion by, with this phrase. From that point on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So what he's saying is profound. And not only that, the religious leaders had approximately, ready for this, 613 different commands that they'd added to the law of God. And they would argue about what was the greatest command. In fact, some believed that the greatest command, ready for this, was the type of tassels that were around the bottom of their robes. That was the greatest command. That's how twisted all this was. So now we read this exchange in Mark chapter 12, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? most important one to answer Jesus is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus, speak through your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. There's really no passage of Scripture that speaks to the issue of relational health better than this portion of Scripture from Mark 12. Two things. Number one is this. First, we have to love God completely. Completely. For us to really have relational health, it has to, again... It has to come back. We have to love God completely with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, all of our strength. I proposed to Marcy, uh, my bride over here, approximately, well, 44 years ago in a couple of weeks. Okay, so 44 years ago, and then seven months to the day, on the 21st of August, 1976, we were married. And when we were, when we were standing at the altar walking through a ceremony, which I do when I do any wedding ceremonies, walk through a series of pledges. I'm pledging myself to my spouse. And you pledge a variety of things. And when you do that, you're really saying, I'm all in. I'm all in for her. I'm all in for him. It is a 100% commitment. There's nothing being reserved whatsoever from the person you are now standing with and taking vows and pledges before the Lord that you're going to follow through on this. It is an all-in, 100% complete commitment. Now, I think the analogy is, is solid when you think about what God, what Jesus is saying here about our response to God and how we are to love God completely. There's to be nothing reserved. We We are to love each other as a husband and wife with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, 100%. So when it when it comes to understanding relationomics, as we're talking about this morning, when we are consumed with love for God, our lives will reflect ready will reflect His values, His ways, His character, which will directly impact all our relationships. You see, when I am 100% all in, in love with God, in every capacity of my life, my relationships are going to be different. Why? Because I have been transformed by what God has done in me. I should live differently. I should act differently. I should speak differently. I should think differently. Why? Because I am so totally... In love with God, he has transformed me from the inside out. And therefore, what I display to others will come from that place. So, the four things that Jesus mentions. First, we love God with all of our heart. All of our heart. Our heart is the command center of the body. It's where our decisions are made. You see, our decisions are not made in our mind; our decisions are made in our heart. Jesus would say later on that out of the overflow of the heart, what the mouth speaks. This is where things come from; is from our heart. It's the center of our being. It controls our feelings, our emotions, our desires, our passions. It is where it is where our ready it is where our commitment to God takes root is in our. Heart, Proverbs 4.23, you may recognize this verse. Solomon says, guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. That's why this is so important. Also, we're to love God with all of our soul. Our soul. The soul is the source of vitality in life. Our vitality, it, 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 together with the heart, it determines our conduct, so it's, it's heart and soul. It determines our conduct. When we love God with all of our soul, we will, like Paul, like the Apostle Paul, commit all of our energy and our strength to him with our soul. Philippians 3.13 is what Paul would say, but one thing I do. There's only one thing that I do. We commit everything to him. Third is that we love God with all of our mind. With All of our mind. The mind directs our opinions judgments. Our love for God, hear me carefully, our love for God requires more than emotions. There's nothing wrong with emotion, but just loving God emotionally only isn't enough. It's not sufficient. It is more than an emotional response. We must love God with our intelligence. Paul said it this way, Romans chapter eight, the mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And then he would go on in Romans 12 and he would say, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to, have, we have to love God not only with our heart and our soul, but with our intellect. We don't take our mind and set it on the side. No, we love God with our mind. And I love this phrase. We commit our minds to God so that we can offer our society the know why to all of our impressive know-how. You see, we are very quick to say, well, do this, do this, do this. I know how, I know how, I know how. But then that question comes back, why? We have no answer. We need to love God with our mind. And then finally, we love God with all of our strength. All of our strength. You see, strength refers to physical capacities. Are you ready? Physical capacities include all of our resources. You see, God has given us the ability to produce with our hands, with our whatever. And those fruits of our labor are a result of the strength. We love God with our resources, our strength. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says, don't be lazy in showing your devotion. Use your energy to serve the Lord. Use your energy, your strength to serve God. You see, do you love God like this? Do you love God completely? I would give you another word. Do you love God passionately? Do you love God with all that you have? You're not reserving anything back. You see, we're never going to have strong and healthy and prosperous relationships until we love God completely. That's where it starts. It doesn't start somewhere else. It doesn't begin anywhere other than loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. French military strategist, Fernand Foch, said this, the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. You hear that? The human soul on fire. German philosopher George Friedrich Hegel said, nothing great in this world has ever been accomplished without passion. And then William Ward would say, enthusiasm and persistence can make an average person superior. Indifference and lethargy can make a superior person average. The last thing that I want in my life is to be average in the sense that i have not given my all and passionate love for my god he has he has a desire to have a relationship with me it begins with god he has given his son jesus christ for relationship I want to have healthy relationships, and therefore it starts with having a passionate love relationship with God. I'm all in in my relationship with God, therefore I believe that when I'm all in, what will come out of that relationship with God will be healthy relationships that will honor Him. That's my desire for all of us this morning. When we want our relationships to thrive, we must love God with passion. We must love God completely. Passion often separates success and failure. Knowledge is valuable, but passion is un is invaluable. Fire on the inside affects everything on the outside. Love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It is our total and complete love for God that propels us to relational prosperity. And if we try to do anything other than that, to begin with, we're not going to have, we're not going to be able to live out God's plan to have healthy relationships. The second, we love God completely. Secondly, we love God selfishly. We love God selfishly. Now, I honestly, I struggle with that word, selfish. Now, I'm going to be a little bit, well, I'm going to be transparent with you this morning. A little more so than maybe I've been in the past, and I hope you'll, I hope you'll, you'll be okay with that. Everybody okay with that? Yeah. All right, all right, good. I can't speak for you. I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. I like me. I got one come on, and the rest of you, I don't know where I stand at this point. I like me. Fact, fact, I think I'm a pretty good guy. Heavy, heavy on the pretty, light on the good. So, I have, I, I, I have some admirable qualities. I like to be treated with respect. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy it when nice things are said about me. I like to be thought of kindly and treated as such. I'm going to go out on a limb. So do you. So do you. You see... The second command assumes something. It infers a healthy egoism. Hear this. A healthy egoism and encourages an enlightened self-interest. I believe many of our struggles in relationships deal with the fact that we don't particularly like ourselves. And Jesus says it very clearly. You love your neighbor as you what? Love yourself. So how how do you how do you feel about you? I believe that's something we have to come to grips with. And where does it begin? By loving God completely, because He transforms us, makes us in to those that would please Him, and that would have strong relationships with that. But it has to start there. So, so how how are you doing with how do do you do you like yourself. So, here's what I would suge- here's what I would say, we need to love others with a redeemed selfishness. We let God transform us and we have a healthy idea and understanding of who we are. And I said this I believe last week or the week before, it all kind of runs together so you'll forgive me. But you are very special in the eyes of God. There's no one like you. And God designed you just like you are. You are special to him. Never minimize what God has made in you. Never minimize his creation in you. You're his special possession. And you, when we understand that, we treat people differently. Because when we love ourselves, we're going to love others in the way that we want ourselves to be loved. But man, when we're messed up, no wonder our relationships can get so messed up. And we need to come back to square one and say, God, I just need to surrender to you 100%. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Change me so that my relationships are healthy and strong. And they're prospering. I believe that's what God would be pleased. So, with that said, I want to walk through a passage of Scripture that talk about these qualities. And it's familiar to us, so we're going to leave it up because I, I'm going to just kind of talk through it. It's 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Now, here's I, I, this is really important. To, 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 you need to grasp this. The Apostle Paul wrote two letters to the church in Corinth. These letters were corrective in nature. The church in Corinth was really sideways in a lot of ways. They were sideways in spiritual gifts. They were sideways in how they approached leadership in the church. They would mess up the Lord's table. They, I mean, just, it just goes on and on. It was just a mess. So Paul writes these corrective measures. Don't think for a moment That when he comes to chapter 13, he puts all of the correction on the sidelines. You you see, it's corrective in nature. It's beautiful, it's poetic, it's wonderful, but it's also corrective. He's helping them adjust back to what love truly looks like. The character and nature of love. So that being said, let's look at it. Love is patient. Love is patient. This is being patient with people. And here's another little phrase. It's long-suffering. And you're going, isn't that the truth? I have been suffering long with this dude for it. You just cannot believe it. In fact, I'm suffering today. (sighs) Let's not go there. Patience. Patience. Wouldn't it... What would what would our relationships be how, what would they look like how different would they look if we could honestly say every moment of every day i am patient with my children my spouse those i work with the my neighbors whose dog never shuts up you see love is patient Strong relationships, healthy relationships. God, God's plan for relational health is it's patient. It's patient. He goes on and he says love is kind. It's kind. This is being actively engaged in doing good for others. You know, I, I mentioned a moment ago, I like being treated kindly. There's not a person in this room that wouldn't say me too. We don't want somebody to get in our face and bark at us. And I'm not talking about the dog now. I'm talking about just, you know what I'm saying? We don't don't want that. And I don't think we really want to treat people that way either. Love is kind. Also, now listen to these six qualities. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It isn't self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. Oh, my goodness. Do, Do we see the power of those statements? Envy. Think about it for a moment. You're at work, and John gets the promotion. You go, what? Not mine. Belong to me. Envy. What? Doesn't boast. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha. Look at me. What does that do? That sets someone else against you. I mean, what, what? I mean, it's just. And we could go through all six, just the same. But let me just take one word. Just one word. It doesn't dishonor others. What would our relationships look like if we just turned that word around and said, I will from this moment forward honor everyone that I have a relationship with in my circle. Honor them. Honor lifts people up. It respects them for who they are. And I will say this, Remember, every person in your circle of relationships has been created in the image of God and is worthy of your and my honor. We honor them. That speaks life. Healthy relationships require us to honor one another above ourselves. Then, then he says this, he keeps no record of wrongs. I wonder how short is our memory well, i know i know of i know of two brothers i know this i know this i know of two brothers who went to their graves with unresolved conflict and had not spoken for decades because of that conflict and if i told you what the conflict was you would go are you kidding me let me just give you an illustration Remember I mentioned a moment ago about what some of the religious leaders thought was the greatest commandment had to do with tassels around your robe? You say, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yep. And basically the conflict between these two brothers was just not important. But regardless of the magnitude of importance, is it so important that I will go to my grave not being in right relationship with a brother or a sister or a spouse or a child or a friend or a coworker or an employer? No. Why? Because it's not a healthy relationship. And God's plan for us is to have healthy, prospering relationships, and we've got to do it God's way. We have to do it God's way. And then, so let me just add this. Can I just encourage you to shorten your memories? Shorten them. Cut them off. Done. I'm not, no, I'm not going there anymore. It's done. Finished. If you said, I forgive you, let it be done. Let it be forgiven and done. Never to be visited again. Amen? Done. Let's go on. Paul says, Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. All right, that guy finally got what he deserved. He's uh, happy right now. That's not what it does. It applauds, it champions others. And then, look at this. If that wasn't enough, Paul says that love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. Wow, the always and the never of love is life-altering. You see, don't miss this. You and I want to be treated this way. That's how we want people to treat us. Therefore, if that's how we want to be treated, remember, the second commandment is like the first. In this, you love your neighbor as yourself. How you want to be treated is how we treat others. Therein lies healthy relationships. Remember these verses, John 13. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. First John 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. You see, in love... We take God's side. We share his outlook and implement his designs. We treat our neighbors as we know God has treated us. So as we bring our time to a close, remember, we love God completely. We love others selfishly. But what are a couple action steps that we could take to begin to move our relationships in a way that's healthy? The first is this. Do a friend inventory. Do a relational inventory. What do I mean by that? We all have these circles of friends—150 and whatever. It, it, of course, it's going to vary. They're, I mean, these numbers are not, you know, static. They're not exactly the same in everyone's case. I understand that. But do a relational inventory. Start taking a look through your friends, those closest to you. Work your way backwards. Start with the closest five and say, God. How am I doing with them? Let me go even farther. For those in the room who are married. Oh, Pastor Gary, don't step on my toes right now. I don't want to. For those of us in the room who are married. Start there. How am I doing, God? Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I keeping no record of wrongs? Am I always trusting? Am I I never? Do it. Take an inventory, not in a way that's judgmental on yourself, but rather saying, God, help me, because I want healthy relationships. And it's got to start here, closest, and then work out. So take a relational inventory. Do a relational. The second is this. Build some relational equity. What do I mean by that? You know, when you're kind to somebody, you know what you're doing? You're building equity. You're building up. Now, over the years, I have been doing my best to add to my retirement account, okay? Now, over a period of however long we've been, we've been doing it a long time, however long we've been doing it, it didn't start out with much. But now, over time, the equity has built because I kept doing the right things. When you and I do the right things relationally, starting with loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. You can't do any other stuff until that's done. But when you do that and you do the right thing, something happens. You build equity, you build patience, you build kindness. You, you you build the trust, you you these things begin to grow in your life and they thrive, and what ends up happening is our relationships get healthier. I don't know about you, but I'm all about that. That's my desire for each of us this morning. So we would have healthy relationships that would grow prosperous, but we do it God's way. Not anybody else's way. Jesus, thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, we commit these moments to you. Amen and amen. I want you to stand with me. Nobody's going to close. And right now, you're not going to bow your head. You're not going to close your eyes. You're going to look right up here. So, here's the deal. If anybody raises their hand on this question, we need to have a serious one-on-one talk. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that. How many of you have... Every one of your relationships are absolutely perfect. Never flawed. They're absolutely, don't raise, thank goodness nobody raised their hand. Okay, why do I do it that way? Because we're on common ground. We're on common ground. Not a person in this room has perfect relationships. We just don't. So now, here's the second question. And if you don't raise your hand here, we got issues. Okay, just going to say, we got issues. How many would say, honestly, I want my relationships to be healthy and God honoring? Yeah. See, again, we're on common ground. It really is our desire to have relationships that honor God, that are healthy and prospering. But we got to do it God's way. So, Jesus, every hand in this room went up. Our desire is to have healthy, God-honoring relationship. So let us do it your way. So we start with loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Right now in this room, I pray that your spirit would work in ways that only your spirit can work. Into our hearts. In Jesus' name. Lord, we want to renew that commitment to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And maybe there's someone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you, but that's where it starts is to get it. We come to you, God, through Christ, to establish a relationship. We give you all of ourselves, we're all in this morning. And so this morning, I raised my hand, and I believe that literally everyone in this room is doing the same thing. We recommit, Lord, to a 100% all-in. I love you, God, with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my strength. If that's you, put your hand in the air. In Jesus' name, take these declarations of faith, and I pray, Lord, that you would begin something in us that only you can do. Turn all, all, the, other, all of the other distractions aside. Lord, we put all of our hope, our trust, our faith, our confidence. We love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. We are all in Jesus. Let it be so And for those in the room who may not know you, I pray that they would make a declaration, Jesus, be Savior, be Lord, take charge of my life. In the name of Jesus, let it be so. And God out of that I pray that we would come to a place that we would just first, we just start, I like myself. And I know, Lord, there's some baggage that some of us carry. There's so much hurt. I get it. There have been wounds. There have been disappointment. Lord, people have let us down. We've been, there's just so many things that can just erode that self-image that you so desire would be healthy and strong. So I pray you would restore that self-image in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we are made in your image. We are stamped with your presence. God, I pray for even the one person who may be in this room who's just struggling right at this very moment. I don't like myself. I don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. I don't like anything about me and my past haunts me. Lord, my future, I'm afraid. I don't know what's going on. I pray in the name of Jesus, you would break through into this dear one's life and you would speak life in the name of Jesus Christ and you would restore the identity that the enemy has done everything he can to steal. We stand against that in Christ's name and we believe for deliverance in the name of Jesus, and we believe, oh God, that you are able to restore the image of God Almighty in this precious one's life in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let it be so. Hallelujah. 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 I believe that God is speaking to someone or more than someone and I'm just going to pray one more time. I just want to pray. I want us as a church to just lift this one soul, this ten, however it, however many it may be, that there would be a, a destruction of the enemy's purposes in their lives and in their mind and that God would overwhelm each individual in this room and stamp his divine image one more time upon heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name, let it be so. Come on, church, lift this up in prayer. Come on, lift this up. Let this go in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Lord, be strong, be strong in the name of Jesus. We are doing battle in the name of Jesus for your children. Lord, they are precious in your sight. They are a workmanship of God. I pray, oh God, that you would convince beyond any shadow of a doubt that they belong to you. They are a child of God. They are a child of the King. They belong to you. They are precious in your sight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let it be so in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, that let a person walk from this place not knowing how much they are loved and cared for. They are your people. They are your children. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Give you praise. Oh, God, we give you praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And, Lord, I pray... For those of us in the room, Lord, there are some in this room whose relationships are just absolutely messed up. They're messed up. Lord, sometimes it's by no fault of our own, but sometimes it's our fault. But Lord, right now, forgive us for being at fault. Forgive us for blowing it. Come on, forgive us for blowing it in Jesus' name. Lord, and I pray that you will begin a restoration process, that we're going to be patient and kind. We're going to keep no record of wrongs. We're always going to trust. We're, it's never going to fail. Lord, we're, we're going to employ what you have given to us. We are going to put into practice your plan, your plan for relational prosperity. Let it be so in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for husbands and wives, heal, heal, for moms and dads with kids. Heal. Restore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let it be so. Restore. Lord, for those at work, there's conflict with employers. I pray peace in Jesus' name. I pray peace over that situation. I pray, Lord, for the conflict of employee to employee. Lord, let there be peace in the name of Jesus. Let that relationship bring honor and glory to you. Lord, I pray that we would rejoice when good things happen to others, that we would never celebrate the the wrong that would happen. We're not going to do that. We're going to rejoice. We, We are going to be the people of God who love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. How we want to be treated, we're going to treat others. Let it be so, God, in every relationship, No matter how strained or difficult it may be, you're able to do this. Why? Because you're the God of the impossible and we look at these things as being impossible, but you are the God who does the possible, the impossible. Thank you for that. So Lord, as we bring our moments to a close this morning, Lord, I pray that you would just refine in us what you want from us, in us, through us, so that we can be the people of God that you've designed us to be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come one song and let me just say if you're a, if you're here this morning and i and i you you know me i don't say this lightly and i don't say this often but i believe in prayer a few moments ago there was a word from the lord for you here today if you're dealing look at, look this way if you're dealing with a poor self-image if you're dealing with those kind of issues it's time for you this this is, not, this is not something to call attention to anything dramatic. That's not the point. It's time for you to just say, this is done. I am not going to live this way anymore because that's not God's design for your life. You are stamped with the image of Almighty God. You belong to Him. I don't, care. I don't care what anyone else has ever said to you. I don't care what the enemy continues to tell you. That is a lie. You belong to the King of Kings. You're the child of God. So before this day ends, before this moment ends, I want you to get out of your seat, and I want you to come and have somebody pray with you. Our staff is here to pray, too. We'll get as many people up here to pray with you as we possibly can if there's 100 people in the room. That's not the point. But don't walk away from this without agreeing with someone in prayer. I'm going to say it again. Don't walk away this morning without agreeing with someone in prayer. You need, you need that moment of connection. Nobody's going to take this and say, oh, no, it's not about that. It's about you getting this right and him getting this right. Because our relationships are not going to be honoring God in a way that we want them to do. They don't get healthy and prosper until we get this straightened out. That's loving God, whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Got to do it. So Lord, let that be so in Jesus' name.